Hello everyone, this is Yolando. Kate and I are away this week, so instead of our regular podcast, here is a sermon preached by Kate two weeks ago at Derida Church. Be blessed and encouraged by the word of the Lord. that these words I'm about to share with you are true. So hear these words of scripture from the book of Acts in the second chapter for the church universal for us. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day, they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and they ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Here's the question, church. On this third Sunday of Easter, here is the question. Two words. Now what? Christ is risen. Now what? We gathered two weeks ago and we remembered and rejoiced again. Our Lord is risen. We see that in his life, God is choosing us. Long before we have the capacity to choose God back, we see in Jesus God coming low, discounting the shame to live with us. We see God fully alive in Jesus of Nazareth. And when we look at Jesus, we see what it looks like to be truly human. We see that being truly human looks like welcoming and befriending and feasting and healing and giving and resting and rejoicing. It looks like choosing the unchosen. It looks like fearlessly telling the truth. It looks like confronting evil and injustice. It looks like forgiving the unforgivable. It looks like humbly, which is the same thing as saying powerfully, serving the deserving and the undeserving. It looks like resolutely loving and recklessly trusting God with whatever comes without counting the cost. We look at the life of Jesus and we see that when sin and death and violence threaten him, Jesus refuses to forsake his mission to save us. And we see that God refuses to forsake Jesus. 
So when we see the risen Lord, we know the story. We see so much more than one man who lived. When we see the risen Lord, what we see is our own future. We see that the evil in the world and the evil in us does not have the power to separate us from God. God is holding us. And we see that death is no longer a threat. In the risen Christ, we see sin and violence and injustice and shame and death destroyed. And we rejoice. And then we say, now what? That is the question for the faithful every week. But especially in these weeks following Easter, do we rejoice and then big a, breathe a big sigh of relief and go back to pursuing whatever seems good in our own lives because we're not scared of God anymore? Is the cross just giving us permission to do whatever we like and say sorry later? Or do we see the risen Christ and wonder and desire, I want that in my life. Not some day later, but now. And the answer, church, for me and for you and for the true church is yes. And our job, our whole life's purpose on this side of Easter is to do what we have been doing today so beautifully and faithfully. It's to praise the name of Jesus together. To praise the name of Jesus together. So there's an image that I have for this. Joining the Hallelujah Chorus. Because if you know the Hallelujah Chorus, and you do, because I was talking about the Hallelujah Chorus with some kids, and I was singing it with some little kids, the Hallelujah Chorus, and I started to sing it, and they said to me, oh, I know that. It's from Captain Underpants. <laughs> Clearly, the Hallelujah Chorus is everywhere. And it is originally from a larger piece of music called The Messiah by Handel. And if you haven't seen it in the Captain Underpants movie, then you've probably heard it sung around Christmas time. And that's weird because the Messiah is about the life of Jesus. The Hallelujah Chorus is not about the birth of Jesus. That's not what they're saying Hallelujah about. The Hallelujah Chorus is about the resurrection of Jesus. That is the song that God's people sing when Jesus defeats sin in the grave. The Hallelujah Chorus is a song of triumph, and it is a song of power, and it is a song that can only be sung by many voices. You can't sing the Hallelujah Chorus as a solo. It does not work. When you hear the Hallelujah Chorus done right, it will blow you away. Hundreds of voices, these many interconnected parts singing different notes and different rhythms and different words, but they all coalesce together like a living, breathing, pulsing audio jigsaw puzzle. 
It's powerful and loud and it's multifaceted and its message is simple and pure. Hallelujah. Praise God. The kingdom of this world is become the kingdom of our Lord and our Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. Praise God. Now the powers of this world belong to Jesus, and he will rule forever and ever. Praise God. It's a song that says no matter what is happening in your life, in your family, in the nation, in your own flesh, no matter what you see on the news, no matter who is sitting on earthly thrones, no matter who is being beaten and arrested and thrown in jail or shot on the streets or for knocking on the wrong door, no matter what is happening in creation, we praise God because Jesus is risen as the first fruits of God's reign, bearing witness that the powers of this world cannot overcome. Jesus will reign. He will rule. He will be our shepherd king forever and ever. And that includes now as it was in the beginning. It is for us now and it will be forever and ever without end. We say this third Sunday after Easter, now what? That is the right and holy question. Our job is to come together and praise God and to announce that reality because no one else can. It is our job to praise the risen Christ. So what does that actually look like? Because it's not a simple as singing the song, you have to live it. So what does it look like to come together and live like Jesus is cosmic king already because he is? What does it look like to come together and live like the power of the world can't stop him because it can't and because of that looking at him we know the powers of this world can't stop us what does it look like well look at that second chapter in acts the very first people to gather together as a community to praise jesus after the resurrection what did they do if you look at this chapter, you are going to find a terrifyingly simple answer. Why is it terrifying? Because no one here can pretend you don't understand it. And no one here can protest and say they can't do it. Here in this passage, we find the answer to the question, now what? If we believe that Jesus Christ is Lord, what does it look like to live that way? And we can absolutely understand the witness of Scripture. And what we know is that if we choose to, if we submit to it, every single thing laid out in that Scripture is absolutely possible for us. This is scary simple. They came together. 
they devoted themselves to two things. The first is the apostles' teaching. It's not the apostles' creed, friends. Nothing wrong with that. <laughs> but the teaching of the apostles, they heart-learned from those first disciples everything that Jesus taught and did and what it was like to follow him and fail him and be forgiven by him. And they devoted themselves to something else. They devoted themselves to fellowship. The Greek word is koinonia. And what that means is they heart-learned one another. They befriended one another. They spent time together, not in committee meetings. They knew one another. They enjoyed one another. They wasted time together. They were friends. They shared their lives, the joys and the triumphs and despair and defeat because they were on a journey together that no one else understood. What else did they do? They ate. They broke bread together. They ate together. Jesus spent so much time eating with people in his life that one of the accusations his enemies made against him was he was a glutton and a drunkard. He cannot be a holy man because holy people do not take that much time for pleasurable activities like eating and feasting with friends. But Jesus did. Table fellowship was a big deal for him. It's a big deal for us. Jesus didn't use people and move on. He was friends with them. He redeemed all of creation, and he had time to sit down and share meals. The early church and Jesus, they didn't just share ritual meals in worship, and those are big and holy, but they also shared actual ordinary meals together because that was sacred. So when you go to the fellowship hall after worship to drink coffee and have conversations, that's sacred. The world won't see that. But if you take scripture seriously, you will. At the Grove, we eat Cheez-Its and drink punch. We all take turns bringing the after-church uh, snacks, and I don't often get in there while the after-church snacks are still being snacked on, but I picked up for our family's turn, and I actually bought something else. I, I bought, I don't know what I bought, like wheat thins? And my kids were like, what is wrong with you? We are a Cheez-Its church. And I was like, okay, I'm very sorry. They broke bread together. That's why you also have this practice of a monthly meal with strangers and neighbors and one another. It's a key part of life together after resurrection. It's why you have potlucks and you invite kids in for Bible school and feed them because eating together is important. It's faithful. It's spiritual. It's so important that eating together is mentioned on that list twice. So they devoted themselves to heart learning Jesus and each other, and they ate together, and they prayed together. And you can't really pray for each other, not really, until you know Jesus and until you know each other and until you eat together. You can't pray without that foundation. And then I love this next part. They are filled with awe. They are filled with awe. We've all spent a lot of times in a lot of churches. 
It's rare to walk into a church and find a culture of awe. They were filled with awe at the amazing things that were happening all around them, at the signs and wonders the apostles are working. Now, be clear, not everyone here is called to do signs and wonders yet. But don't let yourself off the hook. You can be filled with awe if you choose to be. So I was reading about a study. Scientists brought a bunch of people into a room and asked them to self-identify, are you lucky or unlucky? And then they had them leave the room. And what the people did not know was that the scientists had seeded their path out of the building with $20 bills. And here's what the scientists discovered. The people who self-identified as lucky, they found those 20s. And the people who self-identified as unlucky walked right past them. And the conclusion of the scientists was people who think they're lucky walk around with their eyes peeled for their own good fortune. And the people who don't, don't. Now, I don't believe in luck, but I do believe in Jesus who has conquered sin and death and is a good shepherd. And I believe that the risen Lord is still abundantly alive and powerfully at work in this world he so loved. And I believe that the Holy Spirit empowered and transformed people in Scripture and still empowers and transforms people here and now. And I believe and I know in my own flesh that if you look you will find. If you ask, you will seek. If you seek, you will receive. You will find what you are looking for. I do not think that God is going to scatter 20s for you to find because Jesus says that wealth is a curse, not a blessing. But I do believe that God is providing for us in miraculous and awe-inspiring ways all the time. When I sit down with my family for a meal, if the Holy Spirit opens my eyes, I am filled with awe because I know I didn't do that. I didn't earn that. God gave that to us, and I thank God for it. And I believe that God is still through Jesus doing every single thing that he did in the gospel, still healing and feeding and resurrecting and casting out demons and forgiving and calling in and including and occasionally overturning tables. I believe God is still doing all of that work and inviting us to do it in his spirit. And I believe in awe and keeping my eyes open and sharing the story with my friends. That's what it looks like. When you believe that resurrection happened. And now we're going to get to the part that makes all the biblical literalists get amnesia. Everybody's talking about you got to believe Jesus was literally, Jonah was literally uh, swallowed by a fish, and you got to believe that the, the flood happened in exactly this way, but you put him to Acts 2, and all of a sudden everything's a metaphor. <laughs> we learned that this first church, it was not a cult, it was not a commune. They were not required to sign away their private property to the group. This is not a case of enforced sharing. There were no agencies or committees, but the people were together in community and they took care of one another. Those who had more gave more. They knew who needed help and they gave it. 
people in that church gave up what was privately theirs, what the culture said belonged to them alone, because they came to see through the risen Lord that they belonged to one another. And after all of this, they worshiped, and there was more fellowship and more eating in their private homes and in the public worship spaces. And they were filled with joy, and they welcomed the people that God kept adding to their community. Church, that's what it looks like to come alive in Christ. That's what it looks like to come together and praise Jesus as king, not just with our songs, but with our lives, to let our songs become the seeds of our lived experience. That's what it looks like when a people announce that Jesus is Lord and that Jesus has overcome all the kingdoms of this world and all creation belongs to him. And it is something that we sing together in this space for an hour-ish during a week. And it's something that transforms the way we live all of the rest. We live as though what Jesus said and what we sing is actually true. As if Jesus is our reality and not Fox News or MSNBC or NPR or closing our eyes. We don't proclaim the gospel with our words. And we don't praise Jesus as Lord with our songs. We do it with our lives. Not because we have to, but because we believe in his ways. So we come together to learn and to worship and to love each other and to eat and to enjoy and to share and to be filled with awe and we welcome everyone God brings and we live sent like Jesus did and we don't look to the world to discover what's real. We carry Christ's reality out into the world. And friends, this is a good and joyful and abundant way to live. It is the best way to live. And it is not easy. And it does not come naturally. It is not instinctive. It will not be spontaneous. It will not happen by accident. So we gather as a community to learn and practice. So if I were to say to us right now, hey, Let's sing the hallelujah chorus. Ready? One, two, ready, go. Ha! All right, stop it. You're going to disprove my point. Just stop it right now. You can't just walk to the front of the room, take a deep breath, and expect everyone to start singing the hallelujah chorus, except apparently in your church, Hinton. That's right. We're on top of it. You can't expect people to spontaneously burst into an eight part song. It's glorious music and it is given to us, but it won't sing itself. Anybody can be part of the song, but only if they want to be. But you've got to call together the people who long to sing the song. You've got to help people figure out what their part is. You've got to teach them each line slowly and carefully you got to correct mistakes without humiliating or discouraging people. you got to teach people to blend, to love the sound of their own voice and everyone else's. you got to teach everyone that they are essential and everyone around them is essential as well. 
You got to teach people that their part is important and inspire them with a passion to learn their part well. You got to teach people how to have the most energy about correcting themselves and not the person standing next to them. Again, people need to have more passion about correcting themselves than the person sitting next to them. And most of all, you got to teach people the meaning of the words, that they're not just pretty, they're true, so that people don't sing from their throats, but from their hearts and their souls. We have to learn to be church together with as much care and attention as a choir learns to sing a glorious song. And we have to learn to love the practice and the becoming as much as the performance and the applause. And there's one more thing, and it's the most important thing, and I'm going to say it and leave. The scripture says the people came together with glad and sincere hearts. They met up as they truly were not as they pretended to be. They brought their real selves and their surrendered selves in the process. And each community has to learn to sing and rejoice and praise and announce in its own true and authentic way. Each church has a call to rejoice and praise together that belongs to it and it alone. We have to learn to sing with our own lives and not in imitation of other people's. And that's what we're working on at the Grove. And I know it's what you're working on here. The Lord has a song that is distinct only for Derida Church. And you, are all, you all are all part of it. And others are coming. And God is preparing you to welcome them. To sing out this song of truth and hope that transforms life not by the power of the church or the power of the preacher or the power of the members, but by the power of God. Jesus Christ is risen, and our job is to tell and show that this is true. Hallelujah. Amen. Amen.